Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles there in front of you, should be around page 61, I think. Still going by memory on that, but you'll be very close if you're on page 61. How about that? Um, it was uh, a joy to hear from uh, Mark and Jill Billington, some of our ministry partners in Sunday school. Thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement. Uh, that all of life is discipleship, right? It's a good reminder. It's a reminder we need uh, often, isn't it? That uh, discipleship is not about filling up notebooks with notes or filling in blanks uh, as you go through a class, that discipleship is all of life. And so really in that sense, whether you think you're discipling or not, you are. It's just a matter of how we're doing and how's it going. And are we being intentional or are we being negligent, really? So it's good to, th to be reminded of those things. It's also good to, to pray for our school ministry staff. I think, Chris, before next year, uh, that uh, we should s practice what it does it mean to step forward and then to step back. Because Janelle, you did not step forward. <laughs> you just kind of rocked forward and rocked back. It's very important. You're going to be telling little ones about standing in line and things, you know. Uh, <laughs> to be a good leader, we must be good followers, right? Anyway, uh, it is a joy to, to think about the new school year. Uh, as you're at Exodus 20, what I'm going to do is actually read from verses 1 to 17, um, just to set the whole context, and then we'll pray and begin. This is what the Spirit says to us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray together. Our Father, these are your words we are your people. I am your servant. We pray that by your Spirit you will help us to hear your truth, that you will strengthen your church, 
that You would give us grace to revere You as You deserve. Help us to hear, to believe, to love what we hear, and to obey it for Jesus' sake. Amen. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns us about spiritual farsightedness. He speaks about our great obsession with the speck in another person's eye and the blindness to the log in our own. That actually we can see faults and sins uh, with an eagle's eye from a thousand yards away. We can call it what it is when it's in the White House or in the State House or in the house down the street or in the other person in the church or in the other person in this marriage. But we're legally blind when it comes to the things that are right in front of us, the things that are looking back at us in the mirror, in our own hearts, in our own lives. And while this is really always a problem, there are times that it particularly comes to the forefront. And I think one of those places is when we think about and talk about and study the Ten Commandments. You see, we look at the world, we look at the culture, and we think, you know, what this country needs is to return to the Ten Commandments. Look at the murder that is filling the headlines. Look at the false religions of the world. Look at the lying of politicians. Look at the dishonoring of parents in Walmart. What we need is a return to the Ten Commandments. There was actually an interview about 16 years ago done by philosopher and theologian Stephen Colbert uh, with, with a congressman from Georgia. And uh, this congressman had co-sponsored a bill to, to require that the Ten Commandments be on display in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And uh, they're going through the interview, and, and Colbert asks him why this is so important, and and the congressman says that the Ten Commandments are good for us to remember that if we lose, lose these, we'll lose a sense of our direction. And then came the killer question, what are the Ten Commandments? Crickets. Uh, you want me to name all of them? You want me to list them? And he could only get three. This is the kind of thing that I mean. It's not just congressmen that do it, though. It's you and it's me. But certainly there are real issues, real violations of the Ten Commandments in society, in the world. But isn't it interesting that so often when we hear God's commandments, our first instinct is to grab a telescope to peer into the lives of others rather than to grab a mirror to examine our own. We'll gladly discuss the importance of displaying the Ten Commandments here or there, but avoid the discussion of displaying them in our own lives. 
This problem of spiritual far-sightedness is actually one of the good reasons why we have slowed our journey through the book of Exodus here at the foot of Mount Sinai to consider each of these commandments one at a time, to look at them, and actually to let them look at us, and to poke around in our hearts, and poke around in our lives, and in the hidden cupboards of our soul, and to show us what we've missed. And today we come to the third commandment, which is in verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, as we begin to think about this, before we can actually get to the command itself, it seems imperative that we gain some kind of understanding of the Lord's name, understanding the Lord's name. Now, there are a couple of ways to actually talk about the idea of name right? One way is to distinguish one person from another, right? So, uh, Justin is distinguished from Ron. They have two different names. Dave Smith is distinguished from Dave Burks because they have two different names, and that's helpful for us. But the second way to think about name is actually the way that the Bible primarily speaks of name, and that is that a person's name is deeply connected to their character, to their reputation. A person's name is who they are. So Proverbs 22 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. But we think this way instinctively. What is it that comes to mind when I say Judas? You don't think, well, he was one of the twelve. He was different uh, than Matthew and a different guy than uh, Peter. And I, No, no, no. You just think one word, don't you? Betrayal. If you need some to, to get some wise counsel and you start scrolling through the contact list in your phone, you know instinctively which names to call, don't you? Because name calls forth character, reputation. And when we think of the name of the Lord, we ought to think of the character of the Lord, the reputation of the Lord. That is not just a word. It's not just a designation. It's not just a, a label that sets apart this God from other gods. We ought to think of who He is, not who we would like Him to be or who we prefer Him to be. or Remember, that was, that was actually forbidden last week in the second commandment. We can't just conjure up by our imagination what God is like. No, no, no. We need to think when we hear the name, when we think about the name of the Lord, we need to think about God as He has revealed Himself to us in the Bible. You see, that's actually, if you're new to the Bible, that's what we have in the Bible. The Bible isn't actually a collection of writings of men trying to say what they think God is like. The Bible is actually God's verbal self-revelation. It's God verbally saying, this is who I am. And you see, you and I, we actually received our names. God didn't receive His name. Nobody named Him. Nobody said, well, you know, as I think about God, I like to call Him this. No, not this God. This God reveals 
his name to us. And the word here, Yahweh, which is in the Old Testament, when you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the, that's the, the Hebrew, Yahweh, is the Hebrew word that you are seeing there. That word actually comes from the Hebrew word for existence. It's, it's the Hebrew word to be. And what it tells us is that He is. He was, He is, He always will be. God's name speaks of His eternity, that there's never a, a day when, when God hasn't existed. So when your little child comes running to you and says, uh, Mommy, Daddy, who, where, who created God? The answer really is he is, which makes the little one, you know, and if it, if it actually should make our, name, our minds go, because everything that we know of was created, save one being, the Lord himself. It speaks of his self-existence. God needs no one in order to exist. He doesn't need you. Isn't that great? This is how great God is. He doesn't need you and He doesn't need me. And also that He never changed. He's never becoming something else. God doesn't improve. God doesn't get wiser. God doesn't grow. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then throughout the whole of the Bible, beyond this name, all these things get attached to His name. His holiness, His wisdom, His righteousness, His justice, His mercy, His wrath, His love, His grace, His power, and on and on. All of it wrapped up in who He is. This is the God of the Bible. And whenever we think of the name of the Lord, this is actually what we should think of. Not simply a word on a page. Not simply a word we might speak. Not simply an idea we might think, but the one true and living God. I remember reading the story of a pastor many years ago who went to Kenya on a, on a mission trip, and he worked among the Maasai people. And as he was traveling around, he would meet people, and he would instinctively call them by name because that's just how his culture worked. But in that culture... The custom was not to use someone's name until you actually knew them. So you would call them something like sir or ma'am, you know, some designation rather than a name. And one man finally said to him, don't throw my name around. My name is important. My name is me. And that's actually how we should understand the Lord's name, God's name is God Himself. So then once we have an understanding of the Lord's name, then we come to wrestle with what does it mean then to use the Lord's name in vain, using the Lord's name in vain. What does that mean? Well, before we get into details, let me just begin by saying that this is a broad commandment. It is, we should actually resist the temptation to restrict it to one little thing or another. You know, so sometimes we try to limit this command by limiting it to cursing, all right? Now, the, the command certainly does prohibit using the name of God or the name of Christ or the name of Jesus as profanity, but when you think about what it means to profane something, actually to profane something is to take something that is holy and treat it as if it is common, 
So yes, this is talking about cursing in that sense, but it's more than simply saying, don't use the name of the Lord as a curse word. There's more to it than that. How, would, how much would we like to restrict it to that? Because then we can just say, well, I never do that. I'm good. Here we go. Let me get my telescope out, and I'll look at all you people. All right? But sometimes we also limit it by limiting it to speech. You know, I, I, I can't control my thoughts. I mean, I think things all the time. So long as I don't blurt it out, we're okay, right? Well, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not interested merely in what we do or don't do, what we say or don't say. All of these things, he takes the law and he sharpens the tip of it to where it, so that it goes right where it was meant to go, which was all the way to your heart and to my heart, to the inner man, not just to what we do and to what we say. So we need to avoid limiting uh, this command. So then what does it mean? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, for anything to be vain means that it is empty. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It's even false. So to treat the name of the Lord as something that is empty or worthless or nothing really to be concerned about is to treat the Lord's name in a way that is false. It is not the way that we ought to handle the Lord's name. And you see, the one who belongs to God, the one who worships God, the one who's been saved by God, must not make light of God, must not empty the Lord's name of its glory of its grandeur, of its wonder, of its worth. And friends, this isn't a command actually for just some moments in life. Well, you know, most of the time obey this, but, you know, there are times when I just pause because there are other times that probably don't matter as much. No, no, no. This command has long arms and it reaches into every part of life, every moment in life. So how is it that we might take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, one way we do it, speaking of the interior, is in our thoughts. In our thoughts. Any time that we think, I mean, I've mentioned this I mentioned this actually in the past, and it bears repeating. A.W. A. Pink has written that what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because what comes to mind when you think about God tells you actually what you think about God, how much He is worth, what He is like. And if our thoughts of God don't reflect biblical truth, then they are in vain. If I, go, if I come to you and I say, don't you worry about it, I prayed in His name, so I'm guaranteed a particular response. Friends, that is vain thinking. If we come to think that God doesn't actually care about our suffering because if He really cared, He would remove it then, that is not the character of God, friends. 
And it actually empties out the glory of who he has said he is in the Bible. To think that God's greatest concern for today is that I feel good about who I am is vain. To think that God doesn't care about my moral choices so long as I'm happy is vain. You see, we cannot pull the plug and let the glory and grandeur and wonder and worth of God drain out of Him as we consider, and then put the plug back in and then fill it up with what we say He is, what we think He's about, what we think He does in suffering, what we think He thinks of morality and these kinds of things. I mean, the vain thoughts could go on, but the question really that you and I have to wrestle with is, what is it that we think of God? What is it that comes to mind when you think of God? Could it be that there are thoughts of God in your mind that maybe have come to mind as I've talked about thoughts of God that are vain thoughts? Could it be that there are thoughts of God that you need to put away, that you need to stop, that you need to repent of? Because we can take the name of the Lord our God in vain in our thoughts. We can also take it in our speech. This is the way we primarily think about it. I've already addressed profanity. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because I think that's mostly what people think of here. But I want to mention three other ways that actually we can take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Flippantly, thoughtlessly, and wrongly. Now, when we take the name of the Lord our God flippantly, we use God's, we, we use God's name and disconnect it from the character of the Lord. We're just going to throw it out. We're just going to use it. You know, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. I'm going to put it on a bumper sticker because this is clever. This is witty. This is going to get a laugh. This is going to get a smile. Which maybe brings me to an important thing for each of us to think about. Is it reverent or is it flippant to use the name of the Lord for the purpose of comedy. I'm not meaning sitcoms. I'm not trying to even go out there somewhere. I just mean as we seek to be humorous with one another, as we seek to find what we call clean comedy to, 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 to entertain ourselves, to fill up some time. We have some time on a Friday evening, scrolling through the Netflix, oh, this guy's clean. This guy says he's a Christian, whatever it is. Now, look, I'm all for laughing at ourselves because we are strange people, and we do weird things in church, and we talk in really odd ways, okay? All those, those things are just on the table, all right? You can, you can take me in vain all you want, all right? Just empty me right out. I think making fun of ourselves is helpful. It helps us realize we're not actually as important as we sometimes think we are. But does the use of God's name in comedy, not as a curse word, 
but in reference to him in some way? Is it bringing God's character into the picture, or is it frivolous? Is it superficial? Is it glib? Does it empty his name of the divine, of the separate, of the holy? I think this is an important question to think about. But not just do we use it flippantly, we use it thoughtlessly. I mean, just yesterday I heard a, a, a teenager who was, I think, just either surprised by something or, or, or just taken by something. But rather than saying, wow, 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 the teenager thrice repeated the name of the Lord as an expression just, just without thinking about it at all. I mean, my guess is, I mean, how many of us would be able to know how many times we actually uttered the name of the Lord this last week? There are those who take this so seriously that they would never, they would never say it or even write it fully. I'm not suggesting that. The, the commandment isn't forbidding the use of the Lord's name. It's forbidding the misuse of the Lord's name. So we have to be clear on that. But thoughtlessness can come in. We could do this in the church. I think about the prayer that I was taught to pray as a young child before we ate dinner, that God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. Well, that's not a bad prayer, but we didn't pray it that way. We prayed it like an auctioneer because it's just what you do. You just run right through it because we need to get to the mashed potatoes, right? I mean, that's what you do. You just get through it, and you say amen, and you go on. It's thoughtless. But even as adults, it can happen, can it? Can't the name of the Lord become prayer filler? Like in between every thought, I'm just going to say that name? I wonder if we actually think about every time that I utter the name of the Lord in prayer, whether on my own or with others, to intentionally think, am I truly addressing or thanking or confessing to this God? It's something for us to think about, isn't it? Maybe if we had a, a transcript of the prayers we prayed in the last week, how would God's name have been used there? Would it have been used in vain at all? Sometimes we can just be thoughtless. But another way is actually simply to use it wrongly. We actually do intend to speak of the Lord. We do intend to bring God into the conversation, but we do it in wrong ways. I mean, you think historically the, uh, God's name was invoked as a defense of the slave trade. But today, even, God's name is used to promote certain political platforms. God's name is used to give emphasis to my preferences in church. God's name is used to boost sales in my business. God's name is used by some to justify maintaining the legality of on-demand abortion. God's name is used... Here's the most common way to, to avoid correction, to avoid counsel, so that nobody tries to change my direction. You know what I'll say? Well, this is what God told me. And we mean to bring God into the conversation. We're not trying to be flippant, and we're not being thoughtless. 
But we very much want you to know that the authoritative creator of the heavens and the earth is behind whether I fill in the blank. And we can use the name wrongly. But not only can we take the name of the Lord our God in vain in our thoughts and in our words, but also in our lives. I mean, the word take here is used in a lot of other contexts to actually pick something up and carry it, take it somewhere. And in a very real sense, we take God's name with us wherever we go, whether we're at home or at school or at work or online or in public or in private, wherever we are. You know, God said in 2 Chronicles 714 that his people are called by his name. That's who we are. His name is on us. And so as Christians, I mean Peter says this, right? And Peter he says that uh, that you if you are insulted for the name of Christ. His name we bear his name. And so because we are called by God's name and take it with us, how we live actually demonstrates what we think of Him. How we live demonstrates what we think of His character, what we think of His reputation, what we think of His authority. If we claim to be Christians, if we claim to belong to God, but live as if He doesn't matter, live as if he's, He means nothing to us, live as if His whole world probably revolves around me, then, friend, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. You see, this commandment is much broader than we think, isn't it, at first glance? It reaches all these different places. And the thing is, taking the name of the Lord this seriously is countercultural. I just heard a podcast this week where the, um, uh, one of the people on it said that the phrase, oh my, and then fill in the blank, that this is actually just, quote, old school blasphemy. Nobody cares about that anymore. And so then he was going on to say something else about blasphemy. I mean, this is the view of, this is the common cultural view of morality, right? That as mankind changes, morals change. That the shifting tide of the culture erases old boundaries and draws newer, looser boundaries, erases bold lines and puts dotted lines in their place where you can cross them, or just doesn't put any lines back at all. Well, what are we to do then? I mean, is this just old school thinking? Have I just spent all this time on something that really needs to be left behind? Should we really be this concerned about the name of the Lord? Well, listen to verse 7 again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, God is saying, if you treat my name as empty, as worthless, if you treat it flippantly, carelessly, thoughtlessly, wrongly, you won't get away with it. 
It's not going to be overlooked. It's not going to be underplayed. It's not going to be dismissed. It's not going to be laughed off. It's not going to be ignored. It's not going to be swept under the rug. You're just guilty. Jesus said in Matthew 12 that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wouldn't that most especially be true if that word were the name of the Lord? So no, we don't need to leave the third commandment behind. I mean, we may have left it behind, but we actually need to go back and pick it up again. We need to reconsider who God is. We need to reconsider how we think of Him and how we speak of Him and how we live for Him. Because God says to us, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that brings us to one last thing, which is using the Lord's name with reverence. You see, this is actually the positive way to talk about what is taught in the third commandment. That rather than use the Lord's name in vain, we ought to use it with reference. That we ought to put off using the Lord's name in vain and put on using it in reverence. In our thoughts, we should think of God in ways that the Bible speaks of Him. To think of Him truly, to think of Him fully, to think of Him reverently. This is why reading your Bible matters. This is why studying your Bible matters. This is why understanding what God has said matters. This is why something like systematic theology matters, because it helps us to get our minds around who is it that I am thinking about, that I am talking about, that I am living for? What are the thoughts that are going through my mind? And then in our words, to not be flippant but serious, not, thoughtful, not thoughtless but thoughtful. Not wrongly using the name of the Lord for my purposes, but using the name of the Lord as He intends for His, for His glory. In, uh, in the Institutes, Calvin writes, it becomes us to regulate our minds and our tongues so as never to think or speak of God and His mysteries without reverence and great soberness, and never in estimating His works to have any feeling towards Him but one of deep veneration, reverence, or as the psalmist said in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And then in our lives, we must bear His name at home and all those various places so that His name is honored, so that we represent Him well, so that we represent His character and His reputation so that we are faithful in glorifying Him. So that Paul tells Christians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Friends, the Christian life is lived in the name of Jesus. It is lived in line with His character glorifying Him, not just so we can say we obeyed the third commandment or to think that somehow if I obey the third commandment, God will love me more or that God will accept me if I obey the third commandment. No, nobody can actually obey the commandments well enough or long enough or consistent enough or anything enough to actually be made right with God. Nobody by the works of the flesh can be justified before God. 
No, the Christian life is lived in the name of the Lord because the Christian life actually begins with the name of the Lord, with calling on the name of the Lord. Do you remember Peter at Pentecost? He quotes the prophet Joel and says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in Romans 10, just before the text that Chris read earlier in the service, Paul quotes the exact same passage. Call on the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, then, is the doorway into salvation. The name of the Lord, as it were, as it is well said, is a strong tower. And you can run into it and be saved. So when the apostles tell their listeners to call upon the name of the Lord, we should know that there's actually something more than what Moses or Israel understood there at the base of the mountain. You see, as we open up the pages of the New Testament, we find that the Lord in the Old Testament, who wouldn't let His people come near the mountain, has now come down the mountain and come near to His people in the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Lord. He is Yahweh incarnate in the flesh. And he took the name of the Lord on his lips and in his life, and he glorified the Father perfectly, never, never in vain. He showed us the fullness and the greatness and the glory of the name of the Lord, and he taught his disciples that the name of the Lord was to be revered so that they said, teach us to pray. And he said, here's the first thing out of the gate. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the Lord Jesus went to the cross where He suffered and He died for us because we fail to revere the Lord as He deserves. You see, the threat of the third commandment, that you will not be held guiltless, that should be carried out on us because that's what we've done. That's what you've done and that's what I've done. But it was carried out against Jesus. He was guiltless. Yet he bore our guilt so that we, the guilty ones, could be found guiltless in the sight of God. The Lord doesn't just call for obedience to the third commandment. The Lord sends the one who will obey it in our place and whose righteousness in keeping the third commandment will be credited to all who believe in Him. Freedom from that guilt, freedom from that sin is found when we call upon the name of the Lord. But friend, you can't just call upon the name of the Lord because one of the ways we can call upon the name of the Lord in vain is to think that if I just repeat this particular set of words in prayer, if I just go through this particular formula, then... God must do what I want him to do. No, no, no. We don't even call on the name of we don't even call we don't call on the name of the Lord in vain. We call on the name of the Lord in sincerity, in fullness of truth, in reverence to trust 
Jesus to trust His death to forgive our sin, to trust His resurrection as the only hope of eternal life, knowing that there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friend, if you call on the Lord today, you may have called Him all kinds of things in the past. You may have called on Him wrongly. You may have been flippant about Him or thoughtless about Him or just flat out wrong about Him. But if you will turn to Christ in faith and call on Him to save you, He will. He will. And there's nothing every member of this church would rather do right after this service is over than talk to you about that. And there's nothing I'd rather do than talk to you about that. But there is salvation nowhere else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. Only the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord. He is the strong tower. You run to Him, and you'll be safe. Let's pray. Father, we bow before You, recognizing just in light of this commandment how thoroughly sinful we are. But we know that Your law is a tutor meant to bring us to Christ. And I thank You. I thank You for Jesus Christ. I thank You that He has fulfilled the law's requirements both in His life and in His death so that we who are guilty might be found guiltless before You when we trust in Him. Lord, I pray for each of us who are called by Your name, who take the name Christian, that we would not take the name of the Lord our God in vain in our thoughts, our words, or our lives, but rather that we would treat You with reverence, for You are worthy of it. And we ask all of this. We can only come before You and plead for all of these things in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. We pray it in His name. Amen.